It's the most wonderful time of year. The time when Hallmark movies take over the TV, uh, TVs of most homes in America. Mommy. One thing I've noticed in a lot of them, and I've watched more than I care to, uh, one thing I've noticed, uh, apart from the oh-so-real uh, and totally believable romance uh, plot line, is the theme of someone learning humility. There's usually a, a rich character, usually a, a, a daughter or son of royalty uh, or of some, some important family who, at the start of the movie, is, is spoiled and selfish but by the end learns that that's not really what it means to be a part of that family or to be, to be royalty. And these movies usually have absolutely nothing to do with, with Christianity or Christmas, but I want to focus on that idea of being a son or daughter of royalty. Christ in our gospel lesson is described as a king. Look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey. You and I are the benefactors of Christ's reign, of his humble life, of his suffering, of his death, and of his resurrection. And not only that, but the Bible calls you and, and me sons and daughters of the King. You and I are children of God. But right now, you live in a world that is not your true home. But someday this king will come to you and he will bring you to his royal palace of heaven. That's the theme of Advent. Christ will come again. That's the, what the word Advent means, coming. And today we focus on what Christ's first coming means for his second coming. What his first coming humbly and gently as a baby in a manger means for when he will return at the end of the world. What does that mean for you? What does it mean that Christ, your King, came in humility? St. Paul, in our epistle, asked the question, how do you conduct yourselves? You and I are sons and daughters of the King. But like a bad, bad holiday movie, we Christians can sometimes have a, have a tendency to, to act like a spoiled child of royalty, taking our inheritance and our status for granted. And in doing so, we, we not only give ourselves a, a tarnished reputation and a bad name, we stain the reputation of our king. We make less than holy the name of God. And it's very easy for us to forget who Christ is, what he's done for us, and what he will do for us. And it's for this reason that St. Paul writes our epistle lesson to the Romans. And I'll warn you, this can be a hard lesson to hear. Paul moves from the redemption that has come in Christ Jesus to warn the Christians living in Rome, as well as us, that Christ will come again. And when he does, he says, you need to be found worthy as being a son or daughter of the king. You need to be ready. Paul writes, It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost over and the day is drawing near. So let us put away the deeds of darkness and put on the weapons of light. 
Let us walk decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual sin and wild living, not in strife and jealousy. This is not a suggestion. Paul is not saying that these are, are, are things that you can do if you feel like it. This is the threat of God against sin. If your sins do not terrify you, wake up. And Paul repeats this admonition to the Galatians. He says this, Now the works of the sinful flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, complete lack of restraint, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things similar to these. I warn you, just as I warned you before, that those who continue to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Underline these words in your mind and print them on your heart and mind. Sin, uh, the sin of envy is on the same level as the sin of murder. Sins are serious. And Paul writes also to the Ephesians, do not let sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed even be mentioned among you as is proper for saints. Obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking are also out of place. Certainly you are aware of this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, who is God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. It is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. So do not share in what they do. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We need to hear this and take it to heart. Paul meant every word that he wrote. If this doesn't produce terror in your hearts, you're not listening to what Paul says. If you think that it doesn't matter that you speak obscenely or, or are sexually immoral or that you have lust in your hearts, that you covet or are selfish, or that you get angry, whatever pet sin you have or do doesn't matter because, well, Christ will forgive me anyway, you're wrong. God disagrees. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says that not only are you a spoiled child, you are an idolater. It is not God you trust. It is yourself. And of course, Paul speaks this not just to you, but to me. And to himself. Now, if you're like me, you probably feel a little offended right now. I've talked to some people who have felt offended by their pastor before, and they, they feel offended because likely their pastor pointed out something that they, that they did, and, and also because they feel that, well, who does this guy think he is anyway? He's no better than me. What right does he have to point out my sin? I know he's not perfect either. And they're right. Because realize that this applies to me, too. I am no holier than you. It is no easier for me in any way to do these things than you. And in fact, the office and calling of the pastor has, has even more demands placed on it. One demand is that I point out sin. 
it's not that I, that I preach the law just in order to make you feel bad and, and make me feel good. Uh, I don't like preaching the law. I don't like this. Because I know it's, it's not easy to cast off sin. In fact, Paul writes early in Romans that, that we should crucify the deeds of the flesh, which is an also an accurate description of how it feels when we do it. It hurts. It's painful to have our sin pointed out to us. This is the sting of the law. But the sting of the law is needed in order to turn us away from ourselves and to Christ. It's only once we felt the sting of the law can we realize what comfort and hope the gospel gives. And so the proper reaction to hearing the law, whether read in Scripture or, or heard from a friend or a parent or from the lip of your pastor, is to repent, to stop sinning and to, to, to turn to Jesus in faith as the only source of salvation. Paul writes, Instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not give any thought to satisfying the desires of your sinful flesh. You and I, until Christ returns, do and will have sinful desires that lead us astray. But you and I are children of God made so in baptism. To repent is to return to the waters of our baptism. To believe the forgiveness of sins granted to us in these waters through the promise of God. Because what is baptism other than the, than the forgiveness of our sins and, and the covering of our sins with, with Jesus' righteousness and being given a clean reputation, a clean name once again? You and I have the forgiveness of sins. This is not a potential forgiveness. It has already come. Jesus has come. Jesus is the King and the Savior of the nations. His entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday reminds us of this. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And just, to, just imagine this scene again, this image again. Christ, the King of creation, the one who should have the most glorious entrance of all, comes riding in, comes riding along like a beggar on a borrowed donkey without any saddle or any adornment for a king, which necessitates that his disciples place their ragged cloaks and garments on this donkey as a makeshift arrangement for this poor king. Meanwhile, children sing Hosanna, which means save us now. This is such comforting news. Christ doesn't enter on a war horse to crush those people because of their sin or our sin or our wickedness or our unbelief. Christ comes gently and humbly on a coal the foal, the, the, the coal, the foal of a donkey. And he came to die in your place, in place of your sin, and then to give you his righteousness. 
We have defiled ourselves and ruined not only our name, but, but God's name by our thoughts, words, and actions. But Christ comes and he covers our sin. We place our stained and ragged and ugly garments at the feet of Jesus to welcome him. And he takes his royal garment and he places it on us, on you. He gives you his own good name, the name of a son who never took for granted what was given to him, who never took his status for granted, but, but humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And all of this, Christ's first coming humbly and gently, informs how he will come again. Christ knows that you and I, that we continue to sin. And we only add to our sin. Our, our sin never gets less. But we pile sin on top of sin on top of sin. It's only growing. And yet Paul doesn't say that our salvation gets further and further away because we keep on sinning and messing up. But that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. For you and I, Christ will come just as he did on that humble donkey, or even just as he did as a baby in Bethlehem. The last hymn that we will sing this morning, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, our final hymn today, is based on Romans 13. And this is a very old hymn. It could be up to 1,500 years old. And the first few verses remind us that our sins should cause us to fear and tremble. But yet by the end of the hymn, there's this beautiful verse. That when he next comes with glory and the world is wrapped in fear, he may shield us with his mercy and with words of love draw near. Most of the world isn't afraid of their sins right now. But they will be wrapped in fear when Jesus returns in glory. They will be terrified. But for us, who know our sins now, Christ will come and he will shield us with his mercy. This amazing love our King has for us causes him to cover our sins in baptism and again and again in the words of absolution. Because Christ has already come in humility, we know that when he comes again, for the baptized faithful, for you and me, he will come not to scold us for our sins, not to crush us, but to save us from our sins. And this is the beautiful message of Advent. It's one of hope. Our sins should terrify us. But when they do, when our sins terrify us, we can look back at Christ's first Advent. And because of Christ's first Advent, we can look forward and up with hope. And we can be comforted because this is the way that he will come again for you. Your salvation is drawing near. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.